Well, it's wedding season. He's alive, and she's alive. Yeah. It's called equality. It's co- <laughs> They're both alive equally. Welcome to Halloweeners oh Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome. I'm Cody. I'm Kira. Well, you know what? Let's just sit down and chat about the bride of Frankenstein. Oh. oh, honey, he's got a bride. Right off the bat, though, before we do that, I just want to say... Thank you to our good friend Lee, <gasps> Thanks, who sent Lee. us a very lovely message Thanks, of Lee. praise and <laughs> and uh, also uh, paid for uh, gave us some money for our movie rental. Yeah, that was nice. Thank you for donating to us. Which it like was not much appreciated. Not everybody has to make their appreciation known monetarily. <laughs> did it we're not mad about it um thank you so much and uh we were able to see a very uh, pretty movie Mm -hmm. she's pretty i'm not sure how much i like the plot from beginning to end but this movie's i think very beautiful of uh, the movie uh the bride of frankenstein yeah 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 sequel to the original one yeah sequel honey directed by john james james whale Mm mm-hmm James Whale. James Whale. Whale, who, uh, and starring our good friend Boris Kar- Karloff again. Or as the movie calls him, just Karloff. You know why? Because he, like, blew up after the, like, okay. after the first one, and then I think he was in maybe something else after, uh, the first Frankenstein. But, like, so that he was so big, they were just like, Karloff, motherfucker, we know you want to come see this shit now. Yeah, I remember the podcast, You Must Remember This, did a whole mini-series on Bela Lugosi, mm-hmm. Lugosi, 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 and Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, that's recommended listening. Listen to it, it's really interesting. It's a lot of episodes, like it's a long, it's a multi-episode yeah. series, but it's really fascinating. It's super well produced, and the audio <laughs> is very clear, much like our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Life is great. Do you want to just, like, talk through it, or do you want to, like, have opening remarks? I think we can talk through it. Okay, yeah. so we, uh, similarly to the first one, yes. we see the list, and it says the players. Yes. It's like the, the credits, so to speak. And the bottom, it says the monster's mate, question mark. Who is I don't it? know. We don't know. <laughs> Which I love. If only there was a way to find out. <laughs> we don't know. We don't work for the production company. We're just telling you. And I, I love think it's that funny. the movie has a prologue. Right, yes, because we have... famous authors. Exactly, which is based upon the real story, honey. This is how Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley wrote the damn book. Right, but this this prologue is almost set in like an, a, a fictionalized sequel to that famous right. way that the original was written, where they were you know, in that house and it was raining, and they're like, let's write a scary story for each other, and right. Mary pulled out Frankenstein. Mary! Don't mind if I do. <laughs> and then... Right. Oh, right, because they were like, oh my god, Mary, you're so cute and pretty. How do you think of something so gross? Tell us more. Right, these two um, very uh, uh, fancy boys, <laughs> Lord Byron and Lord Chili. Oh, Mary. So, okay. Tell us about the dead people. Right off the bat, uh, James Whale directed the first movie, Frankenstein, the okay. original. Right. Mm-hmm. And he got this one, and you can tell he got... A bigger budget, probably. Yes. He had more freedom to do what he wanted, because this is mm-hmm. very much of a single piece, directorially. 
Not that the first one wasn't, but this one definitely has like a signature look to it. A vibe. So James Whale in real life was a gay man, and uh, it's kind of often been interpreted that this movie has like a good amount of queer themes and such, and part of that is like just the general campiness of it. Oh my god, yeah. And right off the bat, I was like the first shot of the movie, I was like, a, 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 a gay directed this. There's like a, a maid. There's a, just a shot of this humongous like living room in this uh, this author palais, and there's a humongous window and it's raining and there's a maid walking these humongous pretty dogs it's like great danes i think yeah just, and ugh. and all the boys are like um wearing cravats and very tight pants and, and they have like the curly sort yep, of wigs mary is needle pointing oh my god her tatas are out they are her boobies her potatoes her potatoes her boobies are like kind of out and exposed like her, her cleavage is showing they had to supposedly really edit that scene because oh. like after they were showing it to like the censors they were like there's too much cleavage I see her breasts <laughs> yeah very from the get go it's very stylized yes um, a little more fanciful and not just like I don't mean that to sound like a derogatory sort no, of I mean, like. No, it is. It's it, it's literally it's, it's, big. Uh, very. Uh, there's a lot of flourishes visually. To yeah, it. yeah. But yeah, even uh, I remember they were saying some historians were mentioning that this movie is sort of a great representation of James Whale's sense of humor. Like they mentioned that this was like a solid representation of his style like he had all the freedom so it really was like his thing his personality yeah so the lord byron and lord shelley are like mary ooh, tell me, tell girl. Spill the tea. it's very oh, um, i'm scared of lightning you dumb idiot <laughs> but you wrote about a man made out of corpses you silly girl what, you on your period <laughs> but it also is very much like three queens just hanging out so fun like, it's a storm they're bored they're uh, bored uh, Tell us about that man you invented. Tell us about it, Mary. Oh. So, Mary, though, I noticed in the opening credits is played by Elsa Lanchester, mm. who I already knew plays the bride. Right. Famously. Mm-hmm. So, I like that they gave her this role in this prologue as a way to be like, we're not going to credit you for the monster's mate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is what they did on purpose or not, um, but we will give you a cool role as Mary Shelley. But she's the only dual casting in the movie. I kind of like it, though, because I think there's so much of... I mean, I don't know if they were thinking this far ahead, but I mean, really, her book... There are a lot of themes in the book of Frankenstein where it's like, oh, I'm just a woman. I don't have a place to do anything cool. Like, just because of the time period in which she wrote it, like, I think society told her she could only do so much as a woman. So I, I maybe it's just like an artistic choice that, like, Mary is seeing herself as this, like has to be this created thing that has to be a wife that has to be okay. who knows I don't oh. think they're going that deep because then what happens after this is it's kind of supposed that the movie we see following this is being told to us by Mary Shelley in a way I guess because no, she's I like I'm and you wanted a bride is, is, is like the last line she says before it fades into the movie or something oh, like that okay. so maybe you're right about she's like if this is if what we're seeing is the character of Mary Shelley's mm-hmm vision of this story mm-hmm. and the monster's bride looks like her then it's her putting herself in the story in a really interesting way yeah so like maybe that's what it is i yeah. don't know well, it must just be like elsa lanchester was a pretty well-known actress at that point and maybe she was like i want some lines damn it 
Oh my god! All you have me do is screaming and growling for two minutes, and then I'm done. Maybe that's a choice, but I think it. Uh, maybe it's a choice, but um, I mean that is in the in the original book. It is does include them making a mate or trying to make a mate. Oh really? But I don't remember. Okay. I don't well. remember too well. It was so long since I read it. If somebody out there has read it, I guess we could check. Yeah. Well, but I'm not gonna. Yeah, I read it before, but I don't remember too well. Well, if the drunk history episode is any help. They, like, mention in the book that, like, there's a mate. So when we get out of her, this, like, moment of Mary talking about the story, we cut back to, oh, Lord Byron kind of gives us, like, a recap. Because he's like, oh, my God, Mary, that was so crazy, that story you told us about the grave digging and the mob and this and that. And then so we when we get away from their scene, we fade into the story of Frankenstein and the monster. It's, like, post-windmill burning. Yes. Everything's burned to the ground. They're like, oh, man, he must be dead because there was a fire. It literally it's picks not. up... Right where the original ended. Yeah. Which the is was burning down, and in the original, Henry Frankenstein, his body got flung out Whee! of the building. Yeah, you're not sure. Obviously presumed dead in that movie, right. but guess not. Oops. <laughs> Nor is the monster, apparently, because in the first five minutes, we see both of them alive. Hey. Just kidding. Henry is taken home. Uh, the mo- some, the, the, right, the, Henry the, is Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. And the person who I, I, I uh, is Maria, the little girl who died in the first movie, her father is like, I gotta see, I gotta see the monster's dead for myself. And he goes down and falls into a pit. He fell into he, the pit. <laughs> Yeah, he fell into like the basement that was in the windmill, and the monster. You see a, you see, it's like a cavey situation. You see a hand emerge. Oh, it's so dramatic. Oh, what's the hand? And then he just kind of slowly like, just his like his head kind of the monster's head just kind of like. And there's the monster. Shows into frame. He looks scary. Different makeup from the original. Right, because he looks. He's supposed to be burnt, more burnt. Okay. But also, he personally gained a little weight because he made that money, honey. He's eating good. He ate well. So I'm yeah, good, he just looked proud. a little different. But I kind of like that it. He looks bigger. I don't know. His face looks bigger. I'm gonna check how much more the budget was for this one because sure. it looked more expensive. Oh yeah. He I had mean, some cool like almost like staple things on his face that I don't yeah. think were there in the original. Yeah, there were... St- I think there was more staples this time. Let's see. The budget of Bride <laughs> of Frankenstein was $397,000. And the budget of the original was only four years earlier was... Oh, wow. $262,000. So, okay. um, a good $100,000 more, which I don't know how much that can get you in 1930s money in you, the Depression. What year was this movie again? Oh, it had its premiere in Chicago, where, where, where? we are right now. Where? Um, it was a 1935 movie. I don't oh, know. Let me see. Wow, that was 35? Yep. That's pretty amazing. Yep. doesn't say specifically, but it says it just says release date. April 19th, 1935, Chicago. April 20th, 1935, United States. So it had its premiere in Chicago, it seems like. Let me do a little light research, but so we, can, we can keep talking. Um, and yeah, it. and then we see there's like a sassy owl. He gets out of there somehow. There is a sassy owl. <laughs> And uh, he wanders around, and he's trying to get his life together. And at the same time... Right, there's like conflict. There's not conflicting, but there's dual narratives going on in this movie. Because we spend time with the monster and with the doctor separately. And they Mm -hmm. don't converge until about two-thirds of the way through the movie. Right, all right. Because Dr. Pretorius? Pretorius? Yes. He reaches out to Henry... Um, Henry, and like, listen, I got an idea for you. Let's make a fucking meat for this yeah. monster. That's that's basically the the general thrust of the movie, right? Because he's like, let's create it's, it's, a race yeah. of man made monsters. Which like, why? Right, this Doctor Pretorius fellow who is a former mentor of Henry Frankenstein. 
Right, yeah, he was, like, at the university or something. Yeah, he seems to want just the power and your renown <laughs> that comes with being a creator, because at one point later, he toasts to a new world of gods and monsters, mm-hmm. so obviously he is putting himself in a god position. He has some issues to work out, yeah. Side note, Gods and Monsters is the name of the movie from mm-hmm. the 90s starring Ian McKellen about yes. the director of this movie, James Whale, and it's really good. Highly recommended. Cute! Oh, right, because it's like them behind the scenes, right? Like, making the yeah, movie. it's good. Cute. It's really good. Fun. Young, I- Brent, young 90s Brendan Fraser is in it. <gasps> who does he play? He plays his, like, his gardener who... Oh, James Whale's gardener? Yes, who is like... He, like, gets him to, like, take his clothes off to get sketched. It's, like, really... Wait, yeah. Can you bring up a picture of Brendan Fraser? <laughs> he doesn't have to be naked, but I just want to see, like, what he looks like, because, like, 90s Brendan Fraser is a uh, sight to behold. 90s Brendan Fraser in George of the Jungle is Ooh. hyper-formative to my <laughs> sensibilities. I'm not joking. Uh, I never saw it, but I know what you're talking about. There's a moment where he's, like, <laughs> naked, and you see his butt, and I was, like... In George of the Jungle? Yeah! Who can say I've been changed for the <laughs> just cut to me at whatever sleepover I was inevitably watching it at, oh, and it, no. all the kids are just, like, laughing, and it just, like, zooms into my face. I'm picturing this very cinematically, and I'm, like, clutching my chest. Just... It's like in West Side Story when they, like, zoom in on their yes, faces at the gym, and, the and everything dance. goes kind of silent, and they're like, oh... My hands are cold. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm like, my ass is cold. I don't know what that means. Anyway, <laughs> one second. Oh my god. Cute. I'll put this on the Instagram. You're okay. welcome, girls. He looks. Um, um, was there a movie? <laughs> oh, okay. You're right. Oh, Dr. Victorious. Monsters. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's like, no guy. He was a guy in monsters. But, like, it's not even like they're making a mate for the monster to f- just fuck, which, like, I could understand. Stand, I but think they're like, becomes... we want them to procreate, which is, I don't know if she has the parts or he has the parts. That's kind of what they're saying. Yeah. He's like, we gotta make a race. Well, he's like, it's not enough, because that's when he whips out those little miniatures, and he's like, you made your man. He's like, but I grew mine. I yeah. like seed. Dr. Pretorius has, um, Dr. Pretorius has made like teeny tiny little human beings. They're about four inches tall, maybe, but they're like actual living things. They're dressed up like Henry VIII and the Pope and blah blah blah. And then these like mason jars. It's very goofy, very campy. So campy. It's a weird like comedy moment because they're like, oh, the king wants to like really be, we have to keep him separate. (laughs) Yeah, like is that supposed to be some sort of... I don't think there's much to it besides like here's what he's done with his creations. Yeah, I guess so. It's just like there's so much like because it's just fun. It's just interesting that like James Whale who was like a homosexual there's just like this a lot of like binary talk like husband and wife and like this is the mate it has to be this and like the husband you know the male figure going after the female figure and like good and bad there's just like a lot of binary usage sure. in the story and i just i'm curious maybe there isn't an intention there but maybe like subconsciously it's like mocking the maybe i also wonder what the sensibilities of uh queer folks at the time were in regards to like a world of a uh, binary that they cannot or they, they can be a part of, but it would be against their natural impulses, obviously. Yeah. I wonder if there was a desire at the time to want to fit into that binary because it's so established and ingrained in the culture at the time. Yeah, the heteronormativity. Right. So, I mean, in a similar way that the fight for almost all of the, for the entirety of the 2000s and most of the 2010s, like the predominant fight in the LGBT world was for 
same-sex marriage mm-hmm. because it was like here's a definite way to symbolize if nothing else there's a lot more to it obviously than just this sure. but it's a way to be like we're no different than you right so i wonder if um this is like a very early version of the mentality oh okay possibly listen maybe but also there's also while there is a a lot of binary play and like uh Mm -hmm. discussions of like a man needs a wife and stuff like that Mm -hmm. there are a lot of moments again looking at this through a queer lens of the director subtly inserting moments of like um oh honey male male friendship or relationships or male male like male hyphen male i'm not (laughs) saying the word male twice (laughs) right male male uh almost like shame in relationships because dr pretorius mm. comes back into henry's life mm-hmm. and henry's like oh fuck right in the same way that like maybe somebody would react to an old lover coming back and disturbing their heteronormative life that they've established mm. and he keeps like sending elizabeth off whenever his wife whenever mm. uh pretorius shows up there's something there i think well i think even in uh, I saw, like, one clip from the movie Gods and Monsters, and I don't know if this is based off of fact or just... But, like, supposedly James Well, played by Ian McKellen, tells whoever the actors are who play, like, the... Pretorius. Yeah, and all them. He's like, well, yeah, Pretorius wants to fuck Henry. (laughs) He, like, tells, I think. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate to, like, what the story they were trying to tell, but it kind of seems that way. Or at least subconsciously, like, he wants to, you know, bang Henry. In my very light research, I can never find any sort of definitive moment of anybody who was involved in the movie being like, yeah, this was this. Right. Sure. I think because they probably all died, unfortunately, before they could <laughs> express those things out loud. Exactly. Yeah. Um, not to, Which doesn't mean that it wasn't there. So yeah. it's really up to people... Like us and the other people who <laughs> discuss film to see those things, see those mm-hmm. messages, and pull extract the uh, the the mentality out of the movie mm-hmm. when it's not apparently there. Because the other thing, the other like uh, moment of kind of queering the monster narrative is when the monster meets up with the blind hermit, mm-hmm. which is probably the most famous part of this movie. And it's so sweet. It's, it's so sad. Sort of, I mean, in a similar way that in the first movie. The moment where the monster hangs out with <laughs> Maria, yeah, yeah. the child, and like, they just, just like flowers, are right? playing with flowers, and mm-hmm. it's a moment of like it's almost pastoral in its simplicity, mm-hmm. and it's a nice moment of like the monster getting to express the humanity that's still inside him, even though he's made up yeah. of other body parts and <laughs> lightning Cute. for brain. Just means he's twice the human you are. Yeah. He's made of two people at least. But probably. yeah, so he runs into the blind hermit at one point and. I took a lot of notes on this scene because I thought there was a lot there. The The pace of the movie in general like slows <gasps> down for yes. this. It like, takes time its time. Still. Yeah. So, the, so he, runs in, he runs into this blind hermit who's playing the violin and um, the monster is drawn to the, drawn to the sound. He, the monster in general has an affection for like aesthetically beautiful things. Like in the first one, there's the flowers. Interesting. Hmm. Maybe he'll take a dance class next or something. I don't Ooh. fucking know. And the the um, the hermit says, I cannot see and you cannot speak. Because Funny. he, pre- he um, presumes him as not a monster, as the villagers are calling him, as just a person who can't speak. And they make yeah. this like nice connection. They, yeah. He teaches them the word for friend. He says... Uh, it's very lonely here. It's been a long time since any human being came into this hut. Mm. I shall look after you, and you will comfort me. He, like, prayed to God for a friend. Yeah. 
It's really nice. <laughs> it's really sweet. And he's like, oh my god, God, thank you so much for this friend I have here. And it's and kind of, to, to simplify it again, to like a que- not to simplify it, but to look at it through a, que- a queer lens, this is two people who are operating in a world that is outside of the mm. typical, in this case, like an able-bodied world, but it could yeah. be perceived as a non-heteronormative world again. And they've found each other. And yeah. they're working in that realm. And then it gets destroyed by these hunters that come... And find the monster. Yeah. And they burn this hermit's house down. And the hermit, even after learning that he's like... Because the hunters say, it's a monster made up of dead body parts. The hermit <laughs> still says, uh, like, what are you doing, my friend, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is a very interesting point. It's two people finding each other in a world that doesn't want them to have what they want. Or, like, as he says at the end, we belong dead. Like, he, like the monster just believes he, doesn't, he just shouldn't exist. Because everyone around him, basically, except for this hermit is, like, disgusted by him. He's just, like, everybody. Everyone's mm-hmm. grossed out. Even when he's in the moments when he's trying to help, like, that <laughs> shepherdess yeah. with her sheep, and they're, like, and she <laughs> right, falls Right, because he falls into, into a like, a lake. Yeah, and, and he, he helps her not drown. Yeah, he literally pulls her out, and she screams immediately, and he's, like, you know, I just can't catch a break. You really can't. So, that's a very interesting point. And also that scene is hilarious, because he teaches them how to smoke a cigar. Oh, and Whoa. they're, like... <laughs> Turning that hut into a hot, hot box. <laughs> There's so much smoke. Oh, and that's another thing, that too. Kush. Like, the binary of, like, good and bad. And there's, like, Christianity themes with that, too. Mm-hmm. Because it's so, like, definitive of, like, what's good, what's bad. And, like, even when Frank and... Nope. The monster gets caught by the angry mob at one point. <laughs> like, the first time in the movie. Yeah, there's, like, he, two times. He gets, like, held up on kind of this, like... Spike? Steak? Steak. He's on, like, a giant log. <laughs> but his arms are up. Like, it's kind of biblical. Later, when he's running away from the mob, he's in a cemetery, and he, like, you see a giant Jesus on a crucifix in the mm-hmm. back, and it's, like, very much clearly in the shot. So there's a lot of, again, and that could be, like, a, you know, a, just, again, in the mindset of, like, a queer person, like, Christianity doesn't really go well with that. Sure. And, I... like, again, it's the strong binaries of Christianity, the good versus evil, and there's kind of the... Him, the monster feeling shame underneath all that, perhaps. I think maybe the Christian themes and the queer themes are kind of working in their own separate realms, personally. I don't know if they really intersect. I mean, I'm sure they do. I just assume, Um, like, the heteronormativity and the Christian... Because the heteronormativity and the Christianity are kind of, like... They're seen as the, like the good thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're seen as, like, the good, and it's like, well, you're bad because you're alone. And he's, like, an abomination. Yeah, exactly. You're alone. He's you're made not of made parts. of God. Yeah. You're gross. Hmm. Right, because it's the... Frankenstein's monster is kind of like a subversion of the Christ story, because he's, mm-hmm. like, risen from the dead, but it's, like, an abomination again. It's oh, almost like a, a mockery of the resurrection, yeah. in a way. And the whole thing is, like... The whole he doesn't issue, want to be alive. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the whole issue is like Henry is like playing God, and even at one point Elizabeth says to him because he mentions to her kind of in the beginning to Elizabeth like, oh yeah, like I thought I was kind of playing God, like I felt like God this and that, and she's like, oh it's blasphemous, don't even talk like yep. that. So it's also this like God fearing but wanting to be God but don't f- mess with God mentality. And it's, what I think is so interesting is that in the first movie. Henry is much more maniacal and mm-hmm. kind of, um, like, his eyes are always, like, ablaze when he's doing the experiments. And then at the end, he yeah. dies. And it kind of seems like, or he he dies seemingly. Uh, in the first movie. Right. Yeah. 
And that seems like a way for it to be like, well, that's what you get when you play God. Mm. But in this one, he's very much rejecting his natural scientific impulses. Yeah, yeah. And at the end, he gets a, like, heroic happy ending. Like, the last shot of the movie is him and his wife embracing, and the music kind of turns (laughs) into a major key for the first time in a while. Henry! Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting... I don't really know how to take that. Um, but fun fact, it's not really that fun. It's a different Elizabeth in this movie. Oh. <laughs> different actress. She is... I'm sorry, did not even notice. That's okay. Well, in the first movie, I think she was, like, blonde and a really bad actress. But in this movie, she's 17 years old. She's 17 years 17 old? 17 years old, and she fell into bed with him for a moment. How old is he? He's grown. I think he unfortunately died very much short, very shortly after this movie because he was an alcoholic and was going through uh. mental problems. Problems. Like I think yeah, in this he movie, died two he, years after this movie. Uh, I think he was like he was still kind of seven, which yeah, is older young. than seventeen by twenty years. Uh, yeah, but still but young to be yeah. d- dying of alcoholism, unfortunately. Um, so uh, he's a really good actor. While we're on the topic of the actor who played Henry Colin Clive, mm-hmm. he and the actor who played Doctor Pretorius, who is named Ernest. Thesiger, <laughs> the seat, the Siger? I don't know. Can I see it? The name? Yeah, it's uh, I think it's English. Ernest. Thesiger. 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 They were both in real life queer to some degree. <gasps> I don't think I don't think it's known exactly like they were gay or bisexual or whatever because you could not just blatantly express those things. They're so it relies like, a lot fuck. on it relies a lot on you know what. Uh, compatriots of their time say about them after their death, usually. Mm, yeah. Similarly to, like, other actors like Montgomery Clift and people like that who way after they die, people are like, oh, yeah, he was gay. Or, like, Brando. What? Marlon Brando. What? Yeah. Who? With who? Oh, everybody. <laughs> really? Yes! I think he's bisexual. Oh, my God, that's so fun. Yeah. Not, I'm not, not fetishizing not anybody a, here. Right. I but just it, love hearing these stories of people in times when, like, it was so secretive, but it's still known that they were queer. Yeah, well, Marlon Brando, I, Red, I think, awesome. was fairly explicit about it. I don't think he really hit it. It was kind of like an open secret. Right, okay. As far as That's I know, I'm kind baller. of speaking on my ass, like, based mm. on, like, stuff I've just heard, you know. So, both those men were gay in real life, or queer to some degree, True. and so was James Whale. So, obviously, all these people working on the film, both in front of and behind, have mm. an idea of the queer, just experience. aesthetic and oh. experience, you're mm-hmm. right, and mindset, so... All these things that people can look at through a queer lens, it's like it's not like they're not there. It's not an yeah. accident, and it wouldn't just be coincidence because these three men were living it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't, can't help it, honey. Art reflects life, reflects art, which reflects life, which reflects... Uh, what? Ooh. More art. More art. May I mention another fun fact? Mm-hmm. So in the first movie, we have this sort of Igor character, right? The yes. Li- and he gets hung, With a different name? Yeah, it's a different name. I don't, know. don't remember. It's probably like, Fr- oh, it's Fritz. Fritz in the first movie. Fritz. And he unfortunately gets like attacked by the monster, and the monster hangs him, and whatever. In this movie, it's the same exact actor playing, again, the like Igor character. Oh, I thought it's he looked familiar. Actor. I think because they were like, I think because James Whale just liked him and was like, hey, well, but it's like the same kind of part, and he looks kind of the same. And he's like a, a cockney prisoner almost. I don't know. I think. Sure, but he then dies again <laughs> by the hands of the monster because at the end the monster yep. throws him off the tower for no reason, even though technically this person is helping the monster create his mate, which the monster ultimately wants, we think. Well, the way they get the body of the bride is this assistant oh, kills a woman on the street. Just kills her. Very that, Jack that the Ripper night. style. Just strangles yeah. her. 
So I think this is the way of him getting his comeuppance. Because, like, back then, characters always got their comeuppance. There were no, like, anti-heroes that survived for the most part. And the monster was just like, I'm mad at you, I guess. I'll throw you. I don't know. Because like, the monster goes on the roof of the lab, and this assistant's like, you're not supposed to be here. And the monster's like, you're not supposed to be alive. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just kind of happens. Yep. He, he mad. He mad. Speaking again to the bigger budget of the movie, mm-hmm. there's a lot of really impressive sets in this movie. Yes. There's, oh my god, they're gorgeous. They love to make these humongous windows and there's yes. a lot of really high ceilings. You don't see rooms, ceilings yeah. a lot in older movies That's because they were almost all shot on, in studios and there were no ceilings in, on the set because there would be like lighting equipment. Yeah. But the fact that they built these false ceilings or at least like the, the tops of, I don't know. It just looks really big. Looks, like these yeah. are big fucking sets, which is really it's, impressive. It was so gorgeous. And the other thing is that has the effect of making the shadows bigger because you can pull the camera way back and have like a light really close to the camera so that like candelabras yeah. look humongous mm-hmm. reflected against the wall or people's reflections or uh, shadows and stuff and people can go like really deep into the set and it gives it this kind of German expressionist look very similar to like Nosferatu or something that wasn't really there in the first Frankenstein maybe not as exaggerated it's not as as apparent and like there's this one amazing set where the aforementioned shepherdess falls in the water that literally has a running waterfall and lambs running all over it it looks amazing it's it's really beautiful and i think i mean and like some of the backdrops they use for like the sunset is really beautiful Mm -hmm. on the clouds i mean it's very it's just gorgeous yeah oh and also to tie it up so pretorius and them they collaborate and then they make the the bride who she's like okay cool and then she sees the monster isn't into it they try again, not at all into a little it. bit more forcefully for them to just like interact, and she's again not into it. And so the monster goes, "All right, okay, <laughs> just I tried kill, <laughs> and then he just kills everybody. Yeah, by they have a lever that explodes the whole building <laughs> in case of emergency. <laughs> kill us all, oh, right? Because he tells Victor, uh, not Victor. It's so weird that his name is Henry in the movie. Henry and Elizabeth to get out. He says, "You get out. We deserve right, the to monster die." Says this. Or something. The, he says, um, "We belong dead." Okay, I wrote it down. He says. You live, the monster says this to Henry and Elizabeth, you live, go, and they go. Mm -hmm. And then to Pretorius, he says, you stay. Mm -hmm. And then he says, we belong dead. Right. And he goes to pull the lever, the bride hisses at him. (laughs) Doesn't doesn't help. (laughs) Like a cat. Right. And then you see the monster has a single tear roll down his face. And then he pulls the lever. And that's kind of the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said there. Again, it's like, we I belong love dead. I love the ending. I love the movie in general. I'm not talking about it. <laughs> I'm just, like, saying now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty intense, pretty deep. It's, uh... A lot of shame. Yeah, it's about... It is about shame. It's about trying your best to... Right, because he, they, he tries to fit into this heteronormative moment for once with yeah. his bride, because it's kind of like... Not to project onto this monster, uh, whatever, but mm-hmm. maybe trying to fit into this binary and it doesn't work. And he's like, he sees how not fitting in mm. makes life hard. So, mm-hmm. if, like, the thing that makes you the most able to fit in, which is a typical male-female relationship, mm-hmm. doesn't work, then in this time period, maybe his shame was so bad that he would 
blow himself up. I mean, kind of, maybe. It sucks. It's a sad ending. <laughs> it's very sad. And he's just so... Boris Karloff is so good in he's this. He's really good in this one. And even though he has to talk, like, the character talks, he learns words, yeah. he learns words he from, learns a lot the of words from the hermit. But he does start to talk and speak up, which is, like, kind of cool. I mean, it's for bad reasons, but it's cool. Um, yeah, at first I was nervous about that. I thought I wouldn't like it, but it weirdly works. Well, he does it in a way that's, like, he's not, like... Hey, Henry, it'd be super cool if you built me a mate. Like, it's sure. selective. He kind of has, like, a baby mentality with it, which I like. Like, it's like, he, I only know these words. Yeah, there's so no, like, um, work. there's no, like, ands or thes. Cute. Yeah. I love it. I think his his acting is great. Um, His scene with the hermit is great, when especially when the hermit's praying for him. Like, that's really beautiful and touching. When the monster's, like, tied up to the pole and he's being dragged out by the angry mob, his face in that is, like, he's just so good, Boris. Yeah, he oh. really rocks this movie. He He's good in the first one, too, but there's not much to it. Not right, his fault. Yeah. Except for the Maria, Maria scene in terms of dimension. Sure. Whereas this, he gets a lot more to play. Mm-hmm. He knocks it out of the park. Just the scale on this movie is much bigger, so everyone has room to, like you said, just do crazy shit. And it's not like he's just going, the whole time when he can't <laughs> right. speak. There's different levels to his reactions and stuff. It's like, like a, it's like an animal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's very animalistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like I'm, it because he kind of has like a more of like a hound like a dog sort of sensibility like he like growls when mm-hmm. the uh, hermit touches his chest when he's like trying to feel for where he's injured and then i had heard that elsa manchester elsa lanchester i'm sorry <laughs> elsa lanchester who plays uh mary wallstonecraft shelley slash the bride uh she kind of was using intentionally the actress was using like swan like characteristics which makes sense because she kind of has a jolty head that. and she's like swans are gentle and cute but when you get close to their babies they like will hiss at Ooh. you and she that's oh maybe that's what the hissing it was less cat and more swan it is like that love that right, right? because cute. when she first appears she has a really elongated neck i'm yes. touching my neck right now i love it from the fantasy and she moves her head really rapidly around like it's almost like she can't move her eyes, so she has to move Ooh. her head to oh, look. Good point. I don't know if that's on purpose, but it gives it yeah. a shockingly, like, I'm observing everything really quickly, like the a bird what? would. Yeah. It's very bird-like. The what is this? The what? The oh, whole wait. entrance of the bride is iconic. It's so great, because at first it's her all wrapped up with this, and you just see, like, a body wrapped up and like, yes. ga- gauze. Oh, my gauze. Um... <laughs> And so, and, bandages. and they go, here she is. And they like give her the electricity, they bring her down. And then it's like them unwrapping it cuts to just her She's there. Unwrapped. Her hair is big, She's which I assume, <laughs> which I assume her hair is big because they all the electricity, those pumps. Yeah, forward. I think it's meant to look frizzy it. like she got shocked, but I don't Oops. know how that hair was stuck under there. It was like a chicken wire situation. I think that's her, mostly her real hair. They just like had a whole chicken shit. wire. That's and, insane. Yeah, imagine coming washing that shit out at the end Good of the day. So fun. Yeah, so she they take off her wrappings and she does her bird movements looking around. Mm-hmm. And then Pretorius has his hands extended out and he goes, It's so it's so, so queeny. So queen. <laughs> so fu- he literally he does he like the does, penguin pose. Yeah. <laughs> Listen the fuck up. He's like he goes, the bride of Frankenstein. Oops, and then it's um, there's like wedding bells ding donging in yeah. the background, and she just strut, strut, strut. <laughs> she and then she ends up on a runway, weirdly, right? And she just lights. jumps into a split. It's in color. <laughs> it's, like, it's 1991 somehow. It's wild. Um. So, what do you think? 
from a storytelling point yes. of view, that because like the monster, OG monster, he's made up of mm-hmm. all these dead body parts and he looks gross and he's like yeah. nasty. But of course the bride, she's made up of a fresh corpse and she looks like Her face pretty. Is painted. Yeah, exactly. Face painted. She has. She does have some stitching, but it's, but it's in, underneath the neck. And it's subtle. on a very natural like crease. Yeah, it's, it's on a place like a like a line like yeah. along her uh, along her chin. It's just like, hmm, interesting. She gets to be pretty. I mean, that's just aesthetic sensibilities of the time, which still hasn't changed, obviously. I don't think there's much to it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I did that with that my was mouth. Amazing. <laughs> what do you think? So, do you think Dr. Pretorius, there's a scene where Frank, uh, the monster on his own accord, has like hidden into the catacombs yes. of the, the, the cemetery. Of the graves. Of the the yeah. graves. And he and runs into Dr. Pretorius, who just happens to be down there hanging out. Like he, he ha- was there to meet up with the other cronies, but he s- stayed behind to like drink and hang Have out. Have a picnic. Which, like, kind of fun. Creepy. He literally, no again, sets the scene. He puts candles out. He puts There's a skull, skull out. He's talking to himself. Oh, my God. He's in his oh, element. Hello. I didn't know. What does he say when he sees a monster? I was like, ex- didn't know I was alone. Oh, I was yeah. Alone. Oh, so like, who goes, oh, like I thought I was alone. Ah, bitch. Well, you're not. No, no, no. And he hands him a cigar. Ah, yeah, the monster becomes very much, very quickly, like, a typical college student, because, like, they start <laughs> plying him with um, drink and smoke whenever they want him to do something. Smoke. Like, later oh. the monster's getting in the way of their experiments in the lab, and literally, <laughs> Pretorius is like, okay, come here, and get some, like, you want some scotch? W- dr- like, some scotch, and leads him away from the lab like a cat, <laughs> like, with a toy. Like, come on, come on. You want this treat? Yeah. You want this treat? Two things about the when they get back when when Pretorius finally gets Henry into the lab to make the bride mm-hmm. uh, because he has sicked the monster on Elizabeth and has Again. captured her so that's that's the way he gets that's his gambit to get Henry into the lab to help him build this bride. Mm-hmm. I like that once Henry gets back into the lab and the experiments are working like they start making this heart and once it starts beating mm. consistently, mm-hmm. Henry is like. Getting excited again. Yeah, his, his hair starts to get messy. Yes, so he's like he can't suppress the true thing that makes him excited. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe something okay. in a queer lens. If you're looking at it and you know trying to deny your true self, it will that does no good. The girl can't help it. The girl cannot help it. <laughs> <laughs> she cannot. <laughs> You got, like, almost mad. (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) Almost. Um, But he can't deny that this is what he likes to do, and it excites him, and he's getting all excited to see the heart working, and it's, you know, he tries, he plays it pretty well, this actor, because he's trying to, he's playing two things at once. He's playing, I'm forced to be here, so I just have to get this over with, but also, I can't deny that myself, a man of science, is getting excited by this, at the prospect of this working. It's fun. It's fun. It's well-directed, well-acted. And then again, I love that once it gets closer and closer to the bride actually being brought to life, the filmmaking gets increasingly more chaotic. Like the angles start like tilting really heavily all over the place. There's like cameras put in different places and perspectives than we're used to. Mm -hmm. The editing gets way more erratic. There's like way more cuts, way quicker than there has ever been in the in the movie. And once the lightning storm starts happening, it's almost frenetic. It's like insane, much like it like resembles lightning in a way. Ooh, yeah. And then once the bride is revealed, it slows down again. So mm. it really just kind of naturally gets you like, what's going on? Something's happening here. Also because once they start in the initial parts of the experiment, there's the heart beating, mm-hmm. and they have it 
they have the heartbeat sound effect going under the entire scene. So even oh, when they're right. not near the heart, you can still mm. hear the the beating. Mm. Cause it, so it gives it this like underlying sense of something like a, almost like a clock ticking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that. really, really well directed. I love that. Mm-hmm. And the lighting in this movie is great too. Like he has a very stylized look, uh, James Whale, where it's like there's like a harsh light on their face only. Yes. And like so they're kind of in shadow and everything around them is still dark and it's kind of all mysterious. And just, uh, it just, it's just very beautiful. It's, it's, yeah, it's like the spookily beautiful. It really um, yeah. is a, a creepy aesthetic that would like pave the way. I mean, it's, it's owing a lot to Nosferatu and movies like that, but it would pave sure. the way for general horror look for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh, and then there's like Henry's housemaid woman, the one who's like, hey! Oh, uh, Minnie, the role you'd play. Yeah, I know. She's, I mean,. She's in our Instagram story. Campy. You can check it out on our highlights. She screams. She's like aggressive. She's a it's maid, fine. but she wears this like villager costume the whole time. Same one. Even in the middle of the night when the other maids are like in their robes and their ponytails or whatever, she's still in her, oh, their pigtails, in her look. Oh, the braids? Yeah, the braid, braid. Yeah, not ponytail. I was, I was wondering why you said that before. I don't know hair. Good! I don't know hair. Yeah. I don't really have much else to say. There's, like, the whole mob dynamic again in the beginning. And it's, right, like, run being, by some one guy. And he's, right. like... They are, they are uh, susceptible to an authority voice telling them what's good or bad. Yeah, yeah. and But, of course, the authority voice isn't helping in the capturing. Nope. But he judges in their technique and capturing the creature. He's, like, get him by the feet first or something. And he's, like, oh, <laughs> I can't control anybody. And it's, like... What, what? am I to do? <laughs> just, it's, it's just a wild ride. Cute. So that was The Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. It's great. I, she, <laughs> I really liked it. She shows up very late to the story, which Literally, is I a checked the time. There was three minutes left once the actual bride comes back. Yeah. Which, in a way, it's, I like the idea of a movie withholding the thing you know is coming, because it keeps you excited. Sure. But at the same time, I would have liked to see more of her, just because she was great. Yeah. Right, exactly. I, I like the movie. I like the... But I wish there was more of her, because then it kind of is like... I don't know. To me, like, the... The the ride is bumpy, mm-hmm. and then it ends, and you're like, okay, well, okay, we could have kept going with that. Um, whereas I feel like the first movie structurally has a very good like beginning, middle, end, and like right. Well, they also have source material. This is, I think. Well, you said it's kind of be- maybe based on like some sar- some sarts, some part of the <laughs> it, it, original book. Exactly. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's part of it to an extent. So I think they because the bride is yeah the bride is incorporated into the book to an extent. So the sec- the really the book is used as source material for like the first movie and like the second movie. Right. And then it gets into like the son of Frankenstein and like the uncle of oh, Frankenstein, yeah, the accountant of Frankenstein. Of I think after this one, after the second one, Karloff was like, I'm good. He's like, I had a good run. Um, but I'm not doing this anymore. And rightfully so, because the rest are probably not that great. Um, but we'll I can't. I, this this is pretty well known as the best one. Yeah. And possibly the best of all of these universal monster movies. Uh-huh. I think it's the best <laughs> I've seen so far. I dig her. She's fun. I like her too. Yeah, check her out. She's probably on YouTube for free if you look yeah. closely enough. I just wish there was more with the bride. Unless, yeah. like, I'm here and, uh, okay. Right. You know, but maybe next but time. But the, the queer subtext is great and not hard to see if you're looking for it. Yeah, like, like I yeah. always am. And honey, it's, it's campy. It's it is campy. It's vi- very fun, very watchable, very short. Yeah, I would say it's very light on the scares. It's like not a scary movie. No, not at all. But like, it's just like a 
wild concept. Right. I can't even imagine what would have scared audiences back then. Because in the 30s, I can see just the, the reveal of the monster and the little girl dying being scary. Yeah, right. To audiences back then. I don't really know what would be scary in this one. Yeah, right? Mm-mm. Right, because it really is more a tale of, like, what is humanity? And what do yeah. we owe our fellow man in terms of, like, letting them live? <laughs> I feel like it's, like, the first movie and the second movie are one giant story. And it's just, yeah. like, this is, like, this is the second part. You really can watch them back to back. It's the Into the Woods second act. Where, like, Ooh. you can have the first act. Frankenstein Jr. Ah! <laughs> the first act only. Ah! But, like, if you want the full story, right. the full drama. If you want the subversion of the themes we're going after in the first one, yeah. you gotta see Act 2. Yeah. Which is this one. So, this has been Halloweeners, a horror movie yeah, podcast. Thank thanks. you so much for joining us. Thanks. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Halloweeners Pod. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. Subscribe. Uh, rate, rate review us, us love review, reviews, as comment, usual. send us funny messages, or send mm-hmm. us money. I don't I'm know. fucking excited for Halloween. Oh my god, I'm so. F- I wore my jack o' lantern shirt yesterday. Um, felt great. Um, yeah, follow me on Instagram at Hey Kira Hey and Twitter, whatever. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Letterbox, everywhere at Cody Monster ninety one. Follow at Pre Pompeii, who does our theme music on Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. Uh, and you can follow Leah Patterson, who does our beautiful artwork at A Tender Witch. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Here comes the bride, she's, and she's a queen, and she's <laughs> dead, all dressed in gauze, all dressed in. Brave. Oh, goodbye forever. We deserve to be dead. Mm